to be in church, yeah? That's what I'm talking about. You know, we had, um, it's cold out there now, but for, if you were here for first service, it was raining and windy. And if you had been driving along St. Catherine Street or coming along whatever form of transportation you use, at about 8 o'clock this morning, you would have seen a lonely little pastor fighting the wind with her umbrella blown inside out and then her puppy blowing across the sidewalk. And so that's how I got to church this morning. And so props to all of you for making it through whatever weather that you had to face. But it is a good day. And happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Super pumped for you. It's a great day. And so we are going to this morning, we're going to look at the book of Mark again. We've been working our way through a series ever so slowly through the gospel of Mark. And we're going to keep, we're going to bounce back to it. Somebody said, when are we getting back to Mark? Today. Today is the day. Yay. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 12 today, but I want to set up uh, the scene for you a little bit and kind of remind you of what's been happening so that we can go through it and, and you can really be there. You have to use your imagination in order to have, um, to, to get the impact of it and to understand what was happening. And so we are in the final week of Jesus' life before, before his crucifixion in the gospel of Mark. We're in the final week before Jesus' death and we've, we've been in it for a while. We're going through it really super slow motion but the reality is it all happens really fast. We're taking time to unpack every single bit of Mark as we go, but the reality is all of these last events are all happening within just a few days of each other, okay? And so you might remember that several weeks ago, before Easter, we looked at Mark chapter 11, which was the chapter before this one, and we talked about Jesus riding into the, um, riding into Jerusalem. I almost said riding into the temple. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and then he went and he trashed the temple. How many go, I have a vague memory of that? Okay, thanks. Okay, I'd just like to know that somebody remembers. It kind of keeps me going. And then there had been this whole conversation with the religious leaders, we said. We talked about this before Easter, where the religious leaders basically came up to Jesus and said, Who do you think you are? Right? And you all said that with me. Why don't we try it right now? Who do you think you are? And they were challenging Jesus' authority. And he stumped them with a counter question about John the Baptist. And he said to them, well, I'll tell you who I think I am. If you tell me who you think John the Baptist was. And they went into this holy huddle and they said, we don't know what to do because the whole crowd was there. And they said, if we say that we think John the Baptist was from God, Jesus is going to go, well, then how come you didn't believe him? And if we say that John the Baptist was not from God, the crowd's going to kill us because they really like John the Baptist. And so they stood up and with great dignity said, we don't know, right? And Jesus said, well, then I'm not telling you who I think I am. Since you don't answer your, my question, I'm not answering yours. And then, but then he did. And he, and he told this whole parable and he, and he, in that parable started explaining, made it abundantly clear just exactly who he thought he was. He thought he was the son of God. Jesus, in fact, knew he was the son of God. And, and who he was had nothing to do with the leaders, the religious leaders, and who they thought he was. Who he was had nothing to do with the crowd or anybody else's opinion. Who he was was based on who God said he was. And God had already said, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him. So we talked about all of that and all that has happened in the last 24 hours and we're sort of still in that space, okay? So are you imagining it? Are you in that space 
just give me a nod or anything at all. Great. Thank you. You in the back, you just nodded at me and that's good. So it's still happening. And so this last week, which is going to take us a while to get through, it's just, it's just this week that is full of, of pharisaical maneuverings and full of, um, religious arguments and stuff that that's happening. And and it's going to end in Jesus death. And so today in chapter 12, we're looking at it and the religious leaders are going to come at Jesus and they're going to see if they can get him politically. Didn't work out so well, the whole John the Baptist question. And they didn't really appreciate that he hung them out to dry and that he asked them a a question that they couldn't possibly win on the answer from. So they've decided they're going to do the same thing to him. They're going to ask him an impossible question right in front of the crowd and see see if they can get him. And it kind of has the feel of a boxing match. Now, I'm going to be straight up and tell you, not, I don't watch boxing, okay? But I'm going to pretend that I do. And, and it's, it has this feel of, of one opponent after another getting in the boxing ring with Jesus and taking a swing at him to go a few rounds with Jesus. And my understanding is that every single round starts with a bell. Is that correct? So I need you all to, to just help me get started off with round one by, by just saying ding with me, okay? One, two, three, ding, right? Round one, Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Can you hear the slimy tone of voice? in this. You can hear that, right? You understand. These guys have been nothing but trouble for Jesus ever since he started. They don't like him. They feel threatened by him. They nitpick at him constantly. They, they challenge him. They criticize him. They don't like it. And so now they're walking up in this slimy tone of voice. Oh, teacher, we know how wonderful you are and you're such a teacher of truth and you don't play. Oh, come on right? He's not dumb. I mean, he's God, so he's not dumb. But, but even if it was one of us in that place, we would be going, are you serious? Right? We'd be rolling our eyes a little bit at them. So, so since when do they flatter him and tell him how great he is, that he's this, you know, he's always this great teacher of God's truth. And he's so honest. Ick. It's just gross. And so, and then here comes the punch. And so they've, they've flattered him, and, and they're really excited because they've been working on this. They're probably elbowing each other, going, okay, here we go. We're going we're gonna to get him. And uh, they, they've practiced it. The whole crowd's going to love us. And so they go, teacher, we know how honest you are. You're impartial. You don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now, now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And the whole crowd just goes silent gets everybody's attention. There's this hush goes over the room because they want to know what Jesus is going to say. And it says in scripture, Jesus saw through their hypocrisy, big shocker there, saw through the hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Now, let me explain why it's a trap. Okay, we're going to just pause here because you've got to understand it. This is about the Roman taxes. So the Jewish people at this time, they don't have their own nation. They're, they're stuck in the Roman Empire. The Romans are their oppressors, and they have to pay taxes to them. Is there anyone here that enjoys paying taxes? 
No. Okay? And so they enjoy it even less because they have to pay it to their oppressors in a land that isn't even their own. And so the crowd has within it some really strong political opinions, people with strong political opinions um, about the Romans. Have you ever met somebody with a strong political opinion? Right? And they can be a little bit terrified. So so kind of picture uh, a crowd with a bunch of Trump supporters in it. Okay? I'm just going to. They're a little bit, they feel strongly. So there's this group in the crowd that are called the Zealots, okay? And they are this resistance movement against the Roman Empire. And they're, they're pretty popular. People in the crowd really like these, these Zealots. They like what they stand for. And they make a lot of noise. These Zealots do about, we're going to rise up against the Romans. We're going to take back our nation. We're going to, all of this stuff. And so if Jesus says, yes, go ahead, pay your taxes... The zealots and all of their supporters, the Trump supporters, they're going to be unhappy about it, okay? And Jesus is going to lose a lot of his crowd. But if he says, no, don't pay the taxes, you know the religious leaders, they got their little iPhones and they're recording it and they're going to go, gotcha! And they're going to giggle and run away and go to the, to the government authorities because now he's committed treason. So Jesus can't win. It's a trap, Okay? So they give him this fake flattery, and then they ask him if it's right to pay taxes. And he calls them on their hypocrisy, and he says, why are you trying to trap me? And then he says, show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. And when they handed it to him, he asked, now whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Now, this is, this is a little bit funny, and you got to be able to understand the question. So let me, let me pause it again, and then you can laugh with me, okay? Their question was, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? The word is actually lawful. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Obviously, it's lawful. They're under Roman law. It's the law to pay taxes. And so it's like asking if it's lawful to pay your Canadian taxes or not. Okay? Some of you right now are going, oh my goodness, I haven't done my taxes. I know. It's okay. It'll be okay. So the question was not is it lawful under Roman law to pay taxes. The question was, is it lawful under Jewish law and under Jewish tradition to pay taxes? In other words, is it right... For God's people to express allegiance to a pagan emperor by paying taxes to him. That's the question. Now, and then just to complicate it more and make it a little bit more interesting, this particular tax could only be paid by a Roman, but you had to use Roman currency, a Roman coin to do it. And, and the Roman coin had Caesar's image on it, and the title was Son of God. So it's blasphemy to the Jewish people. It's, it's so offensive to them to use this kind of currency. And so supposedly, they don't use these coins. There's another kind of currency that they've been given that they're allowed to use so that they don't have to be offended. So the only time they have to use this coin is when they're going to pay taxes. They, they, they didn't have to use this blasphemous, offensive coin uh, only when they had to pay this one tax. So it's odd... And it's a little bit funny when they ask Jesus about the tax and he says, well, why don't you show me a Roman coin? They just happen to have one in their pockets. Oh, yeah, sure, here, right, we're here, Jesus, right? 
it's odd that they have this piece of blasphemy in their pockets. And maybe that's why he called them hypocrites. <laughs> maybe he gave a little smirk. Yeah, really taking a stand, aren't you, against the evil of this government? Really, really taking a stand against the blasphemy and the offense that's here. You got the coins right in your pocket, for goodness sake. So anyway, and then he answers and he says, look, if you're going to use Caesar's money, which obviously you are because you have it in your pockets, if you're going to use it, then pay Caesar's taxes. But also, make sure you give to God what you owe him as well. And you owe him your whole life. So you can do both. It's not either or. It's both. You can honor the government and you can honor God at the same time. And it says his reply completely amazed them. And that's the end of round one. Okay? And then the bell rings again. You going to ding with me? Ready? One, two, three. Ding. And it's round two. And a different group of religious leaders climbs into the ring. Verse 18. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. That's important. They say there's no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Now that's true. That's what the law said. That's what the law of Moses said. And the point was to ensure that the first brother's name was carried on, that he, wasn't, he didn't die and, and had no um, heirs to carry on his name. And also important that the woman wouldn't be left childless because it's her children that are going to care for her. So she can't be left destitute and, and not having any. And in a culture where for a woman, your value was in having children. That's where your value was in that culture, it's super important that she be able to have children. So there was this law that provided for all of that. There's this law that says if, if a man and a woman get married and the man dies before the woman has any children, then her, his brother marries her so that she can get pregnant and she can have a child. And then that child will actually be considered the son of the first guy right, in order to have the inheritance passed on and and so that she can be cared for and the woman's not left out in the cold. You got it? Okay, three of you got it. So they're in the ring, these Sadducees, right, in the boxing ring, and they start dancing around Jesus like boxers do. And they're all all gleeful, right? They're all excited. They're like, oh, we're going to get them. Because remember, this group of religious leaders, they don't believe in life after death. So here they are. They're in the ring. They go, well, Jesus... Suppose there were seven brothers, and the oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. And then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. I guess so. So, so Jesus, tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. And they're all like, we got him on that one. How many feel sorry for this poor hypothetical woman right now? <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> Can I just tell you something? There are very few things in life that irritate me more than meaningless questions. You know, when somebody asks a question, it's just because they want to have a fight with you, right? Or they think they're going to they're gonna prove something with They go, what's north of the North Pole? Huh? Huh? Right? 
Or they go, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Huh? Right? And there's all of these kinds of questions. And it really, when people ask questions like that, usually, it's not because they want to engage. It's not because they want to have, you know, a really meaningful conversation, deep philosophy and all a deep philosophical dialogue. And if they do, don't have the conversation with me. I'm not a a philosoph, I can't even say the word, philosophical dialogue kind of person, right? But usually when people ask a question like that, it's because they want to make a point. And, And usually that question is followed up by this knowing, huh? Huh? Like they've just won some sort of argument. Okay, you understand what I'm talking Ugh, I hate that. This is one of those questions. None of these guys that are asking this question give a flying rip about the poor woman. None of them care at all about her. None of them care about this woman who, who supposedly married seven brothers, couldn't get pregnant, and now, oh my goodness, that she's got nothing to do with their question. They think that they're making the point really strongly that obviously there can't be life after death. Because if there's life after death and this story happens, well, then there's all kinds of chaos. And it doesn't make sense, and you can't have it. This woman, nobody will know whose wife she is. And so they, they give this whole story and go, ah, ah, right? Like they've made this point, like obviously there can't be life after death. And they're turning around now, and they're facing the crowd, and they're feeling pretty good about themselves because they're pretty sure they just stumped Jesus. Jesus has absolutely no patience for this. And he totally slams them. You ready? Here we are, boxing ring. Jesus replied, your mistake is you don't know the scripture. Bam! And you don't know the power of God. Bam! For when the dead rise, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they'll be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised... Haven't you ever read, he's talking to religious leaders here. Haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? Bam! In the story of the burning bush, long after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. Bam! Drop the mic, arms up in triumph. Jesus just won. Okay? These are religious leaders that he's talking to. Telling them they don't know scripture and they don't know God, asking them if they've even read scripture. And, he, and, he, and then he finishes off by saying, you've made a serious error. He just schooled them hardcore, okay? And that's the end of round two. And then there's a little break from the attacks. We'll call it intermission. And, and somebody asks, comes up and asks a real question. Verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. And he realized that Jesus had answered well. No kidding. So he asked, of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? Good question. Right? And Jesus had a good answer. 
Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus goes, oh, and by the way, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying there's only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. And, and Jesus smiles because he's having this conversation and it's not just a debate to him. It's personal to him. This matters. And so it says in verse 34, realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God, which probably startled the guy a little bit because he thought he was just having an academic discussion. He thought he was just, you know, having a little conversation. He didn't realize Jesus was evaluating him during it. And after that, it says, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I guess not. And then Jesus went on the offensive. You ready? One, two, three. Ding! Round three. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, why do the teachers of religious law, he's in the temple, so you know he's going, why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? And the large crowd listened to him with great delight. And they're listening with great delight, not because they're so excited about the theological depth of what Jesus is teaching. They're not really. They're excited because he's dissing the religious leaders. (laughs) And he's winning. And the crowd is kind of enjoying it. And so the question is, you know, the Messiah is supposed to be a descendant of David. And, and that's, that's in scripture. The Messiah is supposed to be a descendant of David, which means that genealogically speaking, the, uh, David is, is superior to the Messiah, right? He's older. He's his ancestor. He's his forefather, all of that kind of thing. And so the Messiah should give honor to his ancestor, David. But David himself, when he wrote Psalms, called the Messiah, my Lord which is backwards. It doesn't make any sense at all. So it's just kind of a fun question to start an argument with. And uh, the religious leaders wouldn't have an answer for it. And Jesus is just having a little bit of fun with them. And then he throws another punch. Verse 38, Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. Are you picturing it? And and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. And yet, they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. And because of this, they will be more severely punished 
bam. He's basically calling them pretentious, self-important windbags. And, he, and, they, and he's saying that they intentionally fake their faith, that they're pretending, in their, and it's a pretense, all their prayers, and they do it so that they can take advantage of some of the most vulnerable people in their society, specifically women who are widows. And how many know that in some cases, religious leaders, probably of all faiths, have been doing that very thing ever since? Not all of them. Remember, there was the guy that asked the sincere question. There's some there's sincere ones out there, but enough of them. You know, there's, there's been enough religious leaders out there around the world that we have a whole world that goes, God? Oh, I don't think so. Not interested in God because all they see is argumentative religious experts who have no compassion, no integrity, no authenticity, and no God. That's disturbing. Can I, can I just tell you something? That has nothing to do with Jesus. He hates that stuff too. So, so that's the end of the boxing match. But then there's just one more moment before the day is over. It says in verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money, which seems a little odd, just sitting there watching people drop money in. But he's watching for something. He's not in front of the crowd anymore. He just has his disciples with him. Many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. It's funny how it's a poor widow that he notices, isn't it? That's what he's been talking about this whole chapter. To the religious leaders, she's just a label. She's just an unimportant, hypothetical character. She's just somebody that they can argue about. But to Jesus, she's a real person. And she's a real person who's living out her faith while the religious leaders argued about it. Jesus called the disciples to him, it says, and said, I tell you the truth, This poor woman has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, she's given everything she had to live on. That's the stuff that gets Jesus' attention. That's the stuff that that, that he commends somebody who gives everything to God and doesn't hold anything back. And the reality is that this woman, this widow, just like everybody else in the crowd, she knew, she probably knew the hypocrisy of the religious leaders around her. And perhaps she was one who had even been cheated out of her property, just like Jesus said. Maybe she was. All she is is a woman who has no power. She doesn't have a husband, so she has no voice. She has no help. She has all of, she's missing all of these things, but she's not going to let that stop her from walking out her faith. And part of her faith involves giving. Part of her faith involves loving God with all her heart and soul and mind and strength. And so just like the other religious, religious leader had said, in this woman, she's not faking it. She's all in. She's all in wholeheartedly. And that's who Jesus commends. That's who he high fives, this awesome woman. 
That's who he points out to his disciples. And he says, listen, you know, not the religious leaders. He points out a woman, this widow, and goes, you know, you guys, you could learn something from her. Can I just, can I just offer a couple of thoughts here? Just really practical ones. Number one, faith isn't complicated. It's not. It's not that complex. Being a follower of Jesus is not complicated. It's pretty simple, really. And, and we complicate it with arguments. We complicate it by trying to win a fight or trying to prove a point. That's not what faith is about. That's not what following Jesus is about. It's just, it's not that complicated. And number two, get real with it. Just get real with your faith. It shows in how you live. Your faith doesn't show in what you say. It doesn't show in the arguments that you win or that you have. And it doesn't even show on the nice little sayings that you post on your Facebook wall, even though they're wonderful. Your faith shows in the way that you live it out. You know, this past Friday night at Gathering Place, we started a new series about generations because the first time in history, five generations are alive at once and they're all in the church. And, and we talked about, so we talked about boomer, or builders and traditionalists and we talked about boomers and we talked about millennials and we talked about Generation X. I'm Generation X. I'm a Gen Xer. And Gen Xers are the get real generation. We are not interested in the hype We're not interested in the show and in the fake it. We just go, listen, just get real, right? Get real with your faith. Don't fake it. Don't argue about it. Don't make it so complicated. Learn about it. Yes, study it. Yes, grow, get mature. Yes, but hello, also walk it out. Walk it out. Get real with your faith. And if you're in, jump all the way in and just go for it. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your heads at this moment. And there's people on our ministry team who are going to come right now. They're going to be halfway up the aisles and across the front. And the rest of us, we're just going to bow our heads because I want to give you a moment. And I just want to share something with you and then offer you a chance to pray a prayer with me. So this Friday night coming at 7 o'clock, we're having a service right in here, a lift service right here. People are going to be baptized in water. And it's people who have decided they're all in. And there are people that have been watching, people that have been following, and they're, they're just decided they're getting real with it. They're going to take the plunge, and I love that. That's, that's what it's all about, making the commitment and just walking it out. So I want to give you an opportunity to do the same thing this morning. And you might be here, and maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've been coming for a while, and maybe you've been watching us and watching Jesus and trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you probably don't have it all figured out yet. And that's okay, because we don't either. But you're ready to get real with it, and you're, you're ready to move beyond the arguments and the complications, and you're ready to take a deep breath and go, I'm in want to be a follower of Jesus. If that's you, everybody's head is bowed. If that's you and you're at this moment going, I think I'm ready. Would you just raise your hand at this moment? I just want to pray with you and I just want to know who you are. So if there's anybody, thank you. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? I don't want to miss it. Anybody in the balcony? That's awesome. 
here's what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer. It's not a magic prayer, but it helps uh, to sort of know what you're committing to, what you're jumping into. And I'm going to ask everybody else to pray along with us so that you don't feel centered out because it's all about walking this out together. And I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need all of you to repeat it, okay? Jesus, I've been watching and I've been listening and I don't understand it all yet. But I want to follow you. I'm in. Forgive my sins. Make me clean. Show me how to walk out the rest of my life following you. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask if you would all just stand at this moment. Everybody stand. If you are a person who just prayed that prayer and it was your first time or it was the first time in a long time or you just know that it carried meaning for you, we got ministry team people. There's, I think there's a couple halfway back the aisle and across the front, and they would be really happy to pray with you. I really would ask you, would you find one of them? They've got a Bible for you. They want to follow up with you. They want to check with you. And if you are that person, then you come and find a ministry team person so they can pray with you. And listen, if you meant it and you're all in, you can get baptized this Friday if you want to. We got room for you. There's no reason to wait or put it off. You just come. You talk to Pastor Joe. He's right here where I'm pointing. He's going to wave. You talk to him, and we will, we will baptize you in water this Friday, and it'll be our celebration to do it. And for all the rest of us, if you want to be, receive prayer this morning, you can also come to the ministry team. But let's just pray together, can we? So God, I just say thank you for your word. And I thank you for all the good things that you do. I thank you, God, that you don't get caught up in all of the... Um, complexities and complications and argumentation that we get caught up in. You just go, just follow me. Just, just love God, love your neighbor. That's it. God, I pray that you would help us as we walk out of here today, that you would help us to carry Jesus well to our workplace, to our families, to our schools, to our homes, to all the places that we interact. God, would you help us to carry Jesus not as an argument and not as proving a point and not as, you know, winning a battle of some kind, but instead to just carry Jesus, the one who who loves people and who calls us to love God and the one who says, just walk it out, just follow me. Would you help us to help people meet that Jesus? Help us to carry that Jesus well as we go. And I ask God that you would bless and keep safe and protect every person that's here. Bring us back safely next week. And um, yeah, help us to honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to receive prayer, come on up to the front or go to one of the ministry people. They'll pray with you. Make sure you go down to the Connect Cafe and have a coffee with somebody. Make sure you say hello to each other and happy Mother's Day. God bless you. See you next week.